And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. How many of you guys have pictures in your office or maybe your house, maybe even your wallet? We only had one person that raised their hand in the first service that had pictures of their family in their wallet. How many still do that? Yeah, see what I'm talking about? I see three hands. <laughs> but, but why do we do that? Do we have, I have pictures of my boys in my office. Do I do that so I won't forget what they look like? Well, some people may need that. Let's be honest. Uh, but I don't yet. Uh, praise God. No, we do that uh, simply to, uh, it, it touches my heart, right? That's what the pictures are there for. Uh, the value of the picture is emotional. It reaches down in and touches our hearts. Well, the Lord Jesus left us a snapshot of himself for us to remember him by. Now, we should pause and look at it often. And when we do, it should remind us of his great love for us as shown supremely in the cross. It should fill our hearts with a desire to see him when he comes again. It should make us look at ourselves and ask, am I ready to meet him? Now, that snapshot that I'm talking about is what we call the Lord's Supper. Our text is Luke's account of this most important meal in history. I want us to see from it how we are to come to the Lord's table, uh, this important ordinance or sacrament that was ordained by our Lord. Now, Webster defines sacrament as a formal religious act that is sacred as a sign or symbol of a spiritual reality. Augustine said that it is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. I like to combine the two of those, and, and, and it just makes sense to me. It's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual reality. The same thing with baptism, right? We are, we are pr pronouncing our death, burial, and resurrection in Christ. It's a picture of what has already occurred in our life because of Christ. Well, that's, that's what this is for us. So when we come to the Lord's table, we should first look to ourselves, and we're going to talk about that. But then we need to look at Jesus. We're going to talk about that too. So let's just open up with a word of prayer here. Father, we are grateful for your goodness that comes to us in so, so many different ways. Father, the greatest way is obviously in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who became sin on our behalf, uh, that we might uh, be redeemed, that we might have forgiveness of sin. So, Father, I pray that you would just tune our hearts this morning to hear these words. Father, these are gracious words that we're talking about, Jesus instituting this, this new covenant, Lord, that we are now a part of. We give you praise and glory for that and ask that you would speak to our hearts as we lift up the name of Jesus. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. All right, so first, number one, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we should look to ourselves. As the Lord and his disciples met for that final evening together before the crucifixion, he drops a bombshell right in the middle of the supper, uh, and it really stunned the disciples. Here's what he said. Behold, the hand of the, of the one betraying me is with me on the table. Now, that was unthinkable. They knew that the Jewish leaders were opposed to Jesus, but one of the 12? How could that be? 
Luke records how this news led them into a silly dispute about which one of them was the greatest. That's verses 24 through 27. We looked at that a few months ago. But before that controversy broke out, Mark 14 records that the disciples did something that was out of character for them, but it was right. Each one questioned his own allegiance to Christ by asking, surely not I. Matthew informs us that even Judas asked the question. Now, in the case of the 11, it was a sincere question. It reflected their lack of confidence in their own spiritual strength. Am I the one, Lord? In Judas's case, it was a hypocritical attempt just to cover his deceit. He knew he was the one. But it is significant that nobody said, yeah, it's got to be Judas. Nope. They didn't say that. Each one looked within and asked, Lord, is it I? We could stop right there. <laughs> That's enough to ponder for the next week. All right, but we're going to keep going. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul tells us that each person should examine themselves before they partake of the elements of the supper. He warns us, warns us that if we don't do this, we eat and drink judgment unto ourselves, by which he means discipline from the Lord. Now, my dad was a pastor, and um, matter of fact, a, a church he pastored is only about two hours from here, right down there in Apalachicola, Magnolia Baptist Church, started that church and what have you. And, but when he would do the Lord's Supper, he would always go to 1 Corinthians 11 as a warning to people because it is serious. As a matter of fact, uh, Craig Astoyich was reading the passage um, in the first service and he and I, he stopped and talked and he was trying to um, come up with the words and he just couldn't. And what he was trying to say was, people don't understand that this is serious business. There is a reality here. We're not doing it just because it's something to be done. It is serious. So, he warns us that if we, if we don't examine ourselves, then we're going to eat and drink judgment unto ourselves. And by that, the Lord means simply His discipline. Now, that discipline can come in the form of physical weakness, illness, and even death, Paul tells us. There are several areas where we should examine ourselves. So we're going to begin, A, with we should examine our attitudes. Jesus began the supper by giving thanks. Now, in the Greek, that word for giving thanks, do you know what it is, what it's transliterated is? Do you know what transliteration is? Translated is where we have a foreign word and we give it a word, you know, in, in French, aller means to go. Well, they're two totally separate things. Transliteration is when you take that original language and you just put English letters on those foreign letters. So when you do that with this word, you know what you get? Eucharist. You ever heard of Eucharist? Okay, it's referring to the Lord's Supper. But it literally, it's talking about giving thanks. Uh, Jesus gave thanks for the cup and then passed it among the disciples. Now, you've got to understand that in Luke's setting here, he is covering some of the Passover meal as well. This is either the second or the third cup of that Passover meal. All right, And the cup followed the explanation for why the day was celebrated, and then they sang the Hallel Psalms, and then they had this cup. And after the cup came the meal itself. Well, Jesus gave thanks again for the bread. And here he reinterpreted the elements of the Passover by showing that they actually pointed to his impending death. He instructed them that in the future they should do this in remembrance of Him. 
And we're familiar, that's what our little sign is. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, and then he says, in, or, or Luke says, in the same way. And that means that he also gave thanks for the cup. Here, Jesus explained that this cup symbolized the new covenant in his blood poured out for you. Uh, this commemorative meal that Jesus here transformed was marked by thanksgiving. The Passover was a time to give thanks to God for His great deliverance in the Exodus. The Lord's Supper is a time for us to thank God for His great salvation provided for us in the death of Christ. We rejoice in His grace so freely given. It should be a time of hope since Jesus twice mentions His coming kingdom. Well, that kingdom couldn't be a reality unless he was going to be resurrected from the dead. So that's hope. So when we come to the Lord's table, we need to examine our attitudes. Are we people of thankfulness, of joy, of hope? Or are we people of, um, that were grumblers, <laughs> marked by uh, gloom and despair? I think John Piper is right in saying that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. When the world looks at a Christian who is satisfied in God, oh my, that brings God the ultimate glory. That's what He is looking for. So one of the main ways that we glorify God with our lives is by enjoying Him, enjoying the blessings of His salvation. If your life is marked by grumbling and depression and despair, you need to judge your attitudes and focus on God's gracious salvation. Well, B, we should also examine our actions, what we do. Jesus shocked the disciples by announcing that the hand of the one betraying him was on the table. To share a meal with someone in that culture was an act of friendship and loyalty. To betray one with whom you had eaten was a terrible thing. I mean, not to mention the fact that he was betraying the Lord Jesus himself. Now think about this. Not just Judas, but all the rest of the twelve would shortly abandon Jesus in their confusion, in their fear. I hope that none of us are in danger of betraying the Savior, although it is possible. None of us can say that we are immune from such a terrible sin. Like the apostles, we're all prone to selfish, sinful behavior. Like them, we're prone to the pride that led them into an argument about which one of them was the greatest. You see, the Lord's Supper is a time for us to pause and to examine our actions over the past week. Is there any selfish or, or prideful thing that we've done that we have not yet confessed? Did we dishonor the Savior by any of our actions? Now, if your answer is yes, that doesn't mean that you're to abstain from participating in the Lord's Supper. Paul instructs us in that 1 Corinthians 11 passage to examine ourselves and then to partake. In other words, if the Spirit convicts you of, uh, of something, some sin that you have not yet confessed, bring it to Him, obtain His forgiveness and His mercy, then partake. So there is forgiveness available for every sin in the blood of Christ. Come to Him in repentance and He'll pardon you and make you clean. So examine your actions. Well, third, C, we should examine our affections as well. Uh, 
Jesus told the twelve, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, he uses a Hebrew expression that is literally, I have desired with desire. That sounds corny, doesn't it? But that's what it literally says. It refers to a strong inner longing on Jesus' part to share this meal with the men that he loved to the uttermost. His great love would shortly lead him, the spotless Son of God, to the worst possible suffering that he could endure. He would be made sin on our behalf. It, you, you hear me quote this a lot, but it's just because it's one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, He was spotless, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, there's no greater love in the universe than the love that led the Savior to offer Himself as the penalty for our very sins. So the Lord's Supper is a time to examine our affections. Ha has my heart been right with God? Have I lived each day by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me? Did His great love motivate me to turn away from sin, to uh, deny myself in service for Him, to be filled with praise and gratitude for His great salvation? In a sermon on the Lord's Supper, Charles Spurgeon mentions, mentions a Mrs. Too Good. He does this often in his sermons. He'll make up somebody. To, and sometimes it's for good, sometimes it's for bad. Well, here we have Ms. Too Good. She made a mistake about the timing of the week that they did communion. They didn't do it weekly. They did it monthly or quarterly like we do. And so she thought it was upcoming. And uh, that week, she didn't play uh, cards at all during that week, which was considered, you know, a sin back then, whatever. And she kept herself just wonderfully pure for that whole week. On Sunday, she found out that she had uh, made a blunder as to the time, and she said she had wasted the whole week in getting ready. Yeah, some of you are laughing, and you should. That should not be our attitude about forsaking sin. <laughs> Rather, out of love for the Savior, who gave himself for me on the cross, and who earnestly desires to fellowship with me, I should gladly forsake all sin so as to be ready to come to his table. When I come to that table, I should first look to myself. I need to examine my attitudes, my, my actions, and my affections. But second, when you come to the Lord's table, you need to look to Christ. If we look to ourselves too long, it will lead us to despair because we will not see Christ in ourselves the way that we know that we should. It will lead to despair. Someone has said, for every look at yourself, take two looks at Christ. I think that's pretty right on, pretty wise. In fact, the point of looking to ourselves is to make us despair so that we won't trust our own righteousness to commend us to God. We'll look at us and go, nope, nothing here to commend but then as we see the sinfulness of our own hearts, we're going to be driven to cling to Christ and His death on the cross for us. He alone is our hope. He alone is our salvation. Now I want you to note four things here about the Savior. A, look to Christ who sovereignly laid down His life of His own accord. The theme of verses 7 through 13 is Christ's control over the circumstances of His impending death. 
Now, we don't know for sure whether Jesus had prearranged these preparations for the room for the supper that night or whether he knew these things supernaturally. It may have been a combination of the both. I think that he prearranged the details in this kind of secretive way uh, so that Judas wouldn't learn about the location of the supper and try to thwart what the Lord wanted to accomplish that night. You've you got to think about this. Uh, that night, both the Lord's Supper and what we call the Upper Room Discourse, that's John 13 through 17, there's a lot of incredible teaching in that passage, including the washing of the disciples' feet right, and about service, that all occurred that night. So Jesus first arranged for a male servant to carry a water jug. Now, that's something that normally only women did. So that was the sign. You're going to see a man carrying a water jug. He's going to go into a house, and it's going to lead him to an unnamed man, the owner of the house, and he's going to allow you to set, it, set the supper up in the upper room. Well, Jesus was also in control of his betrayal. Verse 22 emphasizes the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. Judas surprised the eleven, but he didn't surprise Jesus. In fact, as early as the feeding of the 5,000 back in John 6, Jesus announced that one of the twelve would betray him. Now, Scripture goes out of its way to show that Christ was not foiled in his attempt to set up his kingdom by Judas's betrayal and by the plots of the Jewish leaders. They were responsible for their horrible sin, and yet they fulfilled God's predetermined plan. I want you to listen to Jesus's testimony of how he sees these, this end, what's happening in John 10, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Well, that's a pretty different perspective, isn't it? His death on the cross was no accident. Evil men didn't temporarily get the upper hand on God that day. Christ's death was a part of God's decree from before the foundation of the world. And we can truly take comfort that it was because He loved us as His sheep, again, John 10, that He voluntarily laid down His life for us. So the Lord's Supper should cause us to marvel at God's just sovereign grace. Well, B, we need to look at uh, Christ who knows our hearts. Now, Jesus knew what was in the heart of Judas. And as we saw a couple months ago in verses 31 through 34, he knew what was in Peter's heart as well. Nothing is hidden from his sight. We're fools if, like Judas, we try to cover our sin from him by hypocritically saying, Oh, Lord, is it I? Yes, it is I. It is you. When we come to his table, knowing that he knows everything in our hearts, we should readily confess it all to him. He is more than willing and able and ready to forgive and to restore us. We'll see we need to look to Christ whose sacrificial death is actually the heart of the Christian faith. And that's what we're celebrating here. What was the central event of the Old Testament? That's a question. It's not rhetorical, except Tyler. The Exodus. 
That is the central event. Why do you think they had the Passover? The Passover was there to remind the people and the following generations of this great event. It is a central thing in the Old Testament, the Exodus. Well, the Exodus was only a type of what Christ would do in delivering his people from bondage to sin through the death of Jesus on the cross. So the Lord's Supper replaces the Passover in celebrating and rehearsing that central event of all history, the cross, so that it remains at the center of our faith, at the center of our thinking. Jesus gave the bread to the disciples and he said, this is my body. It reminds us that the eternal Son of God took on a human body. We just heard in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21 there that he lived a sinless life. That's what the, the, the unleavened bread represents. Leaven represents sin. So unleavened bread. He was sinless. That he also bore our sins in that body when he died on the cross. Now the cup uh, containing the wine, that points to the shed blood of Christ, the true Passover lamb. Remember, Hebrews, what is it, 9.27 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Just as the death angel passed over every Israeli home there in Egypt where the blood had been applied to the doorpost and the lintel, so now everyone who has, by faith, applied the blood of Christ to his or her guilty conscience will be safe from the wrath to come. Now, Matthew 26, 27 records Jesus saying, drink from it, all of you. Every believer should partake of the bread and the cup. And furthermore, Christ says, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, that would speak volumes to them. They were thoroughly acquainted with covenant. Well, just as the old covenant was instituted by a blood sacrifice, so is the new. Now, the word covenant doesn't uh, refer to an agreement between two equals. No, it, it, it refers to an arrangement by one party, God, and the other party, man, cannot alter it. He can only accept it or reject it. The writer of Hebrews makes clear that a primar primary meaning of the new covenant is that God has once and for all forgiven our sins through the death of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is not a sacrifice of the body and blood of Christ. That's what the Roman Catholic Mass is about. Hebrews 10.12 states that Christ offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. So the Lord's Supper is a remembrance of Christ's one sacrifice that inaugurated the new covenant as the basis for our forgiveness, as the basis, basis for our relationship with God. The covenant aspect reminds us that God will keep His promise. It's a done deal. The death of Jesus Christ on our behalf should be the focus of our daily walk with Christ. Do you remember what Paul says? Who did, who did Paul preach? I preached Christ and Him crucified. Well, Christ and Him crucified is the center of the Christian faith. If we meditate properly on the cross, we're going to grow in humility. We're going to be filled with joy and gratitude. We're going to be bound to our Savior in love. 
and we're going to turn from the sin which so easily entangles us. So look daily to Christ and Him crucified. Well, lastly here, D, look to Christ whose resurrection and promised return assures us of the efficacy of His death. Jesus solemnly assures the disciples that He will not eat of the Passover meal or drink of the fruit of the vine again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. Now, this could refer to a future celebration of the Lord's Supper as the fulfillment of the Passover. Well, whatever He meant, Jesus here predicted His resurrection and coming again in power and glory to establish His kingdom. Now, because He was raised from the dead and, and because we know from Scripture that He is coming again, we can know that His death accomplished all that He promised, all that He said it would. Paul puts it this way, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, procl you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So we're going to be doing this until either we go to heaven or until Jesus comes again. Now, if your heart is a bit, let's say, cold toward the Savior, maybe you've not been looking at His picture as frequently or as carefully as you should. Come to His table. Look to yourself uh, check your attitudes, your actions, your affections. Confess any apathy that has made the Lord's Supper simply a, a routine ritual. No big deal. No, it is a big deal, folks. Turn from any sins that keep you from close fellowship with your Savior. Then look to Christ. That's enough looking at yourself. Remember, for every look at yourself, <laughs> look twice to Christ. Look to Christ who freely gave Himself for you and let your heart be moved by His great love as seen on the cross. Let's pray. Father, what a passage for us to consider, the institution of the Lord's Supper. We give you praise and glory for this, and Father, we come to celebrate that today. Pray that you would give us just some discernment, some insight into the realities of what it stands for, Father, that it would make a difference in our lives. We are remembering you until the day you come. So God, bless our time here. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, one of the things that I'll say in just a minute is the Lord's Supper is for believers. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this meal is not for you. It can be. <laughs> it can be. I encourage you today, if you do not, know God, do not know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then you turn to God today. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Call out for His mercy. That's the only thing that you can bring before God is a plea for mercy. He'll hear you. He'll change your life. Trust Jesus with your salvation, not yourself. Here in the West, we are, we are raised, we are programmed to do things ourselves. It's in our nature. It's in, it's in our human nature, but boy, is it in our Western culture it even, even ingrained more. You need to set that aside and say, Jesus, I come to you. You do in me what you have to do. You save me. He'll do it today. If you're a believer, I just hope that you'll take a minute here as we begin to pass the cup to think about your, uh, you know, your actions, your attitudes, your affections, those things that you've been dealing with this week. Have you given them to the Lord? You want to do that before you partake this morning. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.